your first time i don't know uh this is gonna be another quick intro i am the in the the coat the walk-in closet where we keep the winter coats was a great spot in the winter to do this not sure how this is gonna go in the summer because it is hot it's one of those rooms where it's like right in the dead center of the house there's no all the heat just gets it's like the core it's like i'm in the core of the earth that's how hot it is so this episode is a little different i kind of got outside of my comfort zone a little bit and i was on instagram i had seen so i I created an an instagram for uh, the podcast um at we lost a good one and you know, searching for other similar folks and other similar people sharing similar topics. And in that process came across the concept of the death doula or the end of life doula. I've seen both. And it just, it it just piqued my interest. So I said, why don't I find out more? So I just kind of messaged a bunch of death doulas on Instagram and one responded and said she would talk to me and her name's Sabrina and she's from London. She lives in London. So this is going to be my first international episode. Interesting to see how that all affect listenership. I do have some international listeners. I have it's it breaks it down by like percentage, so less than one percent. So I'm assuming that's like one person. It's from Canada. Pretty sure that's my friend Corey Devereaux. And then also one person from Norway. I'm guessing that's an exchange student who knew one of the first people that I interviewed. And then there's like Puerto Rico and Germany. That's 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 a new one. So I don't know. I don't know who's listening in Puerto Rico or Germany, but maybe we'll snag a few Brits this time. So anyway, Death Doula, very interesting. Uh, I just like the idea of the concept. Without any further ado, as this has been primarily ado up until this point, please enjoy my interview with Sabrina Singh, the end-of-life doula, who was nice enough to chat with a stranger lives in a different country about death so uh, we had it was it was really interesting i hope you enjoy it thanks for listening my daddy used to tell me don't be fooled by the things you see if you want to get at the heart of things you gotta look away down deep oh second place don't get it son a winner gotta come in first ain't nothing worse than taking a drink that leaves you with a third how are you this morning? Very well. I'm doing well. Middle of the day, yeah. afternoon almost for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's noon here. Okay. Um, doing fine. I'm sort of juggling. I do this thing where I'm I'm a doula, but also I haven't quite given up my day job. Okay. So um 
it's funny. I juggle between like, you know, marketing and global event work. And then I'm suddenly, you know, supporting someone on the phone. So it's just <laughs> kind of a weird thing to toggle between, but I, can imagine. I imagine life's a little bit like that for you too. You're a teacher. Yep. Teacher by day. We're kind of a handful of things. I own a food truck and then I do stand up comedy when it's, yeah, you know, cool. events are possible. So, <laughs> um, well, I've got her. I just kind of start with it recording just so you know. So we're kind of rolling yeah. now, just kind of ease into okay. it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, thanks again for doing this. Um, I kind of want to just start and because I just so when I started an Instagram account for this thing I'm doing, that's when I started to, you know, because Instagram starts sending me like grief, you know, things that might be related to grief yeah. and death and all this. And that's when I stumbled onto the even the concept of a I've seen death doula and I've seen end of life doula. Is there a preference? Nope, they're the same thing. OK, I think some people might think that end of life doulas might be a bit gentler. Sure. For those who aren't as, um, I guess you know, death accepting, but yeah, death doula, end of life doula, same thing. Okay. Can you just kind of, I mean, fill me in on what, what that means exactly. And what, what exactly a, uh, an end of life doula does? Yeah. Um, well, end of life doulas kind of fill the gaps, uh, fill the gaps of what is already kind of, um, being done all the great work that's being done for hospices and palliative care medicine. Mm -hmm. Um, so essentially we are people who walk alongside those who are reaching their end of life and we can support practically, whether that is helping people build advanced care plans, end of life planning, um, helping people put their affairs in order. Okay. Or we can also help practically around the home, relieving caregivers, um, you know, whatever, whatever suits a family, um, in terms of support, like we always ask our first, my first question is always, how can I support you? And usually people tell you, mm -hmm. you know, what they need and what they're looking for. So um, that's a sort of practical aspect of things. We also help emotionally. I mean, as you can imagine, sure. getting a diagnosis, a terminal diagnosis can be quite emotional. So um, we help people make sense of things mm -hmm. and we hold space and we, you know, really um, provide a safe environment to kind of talk openly about death and dying. And whether that is with a dying person themselves, or it could just be advocates within the community to talk about it and to, mm -hmm. you know, start opening up these conversations, which are so important mm -hmm. and people just don't have. And then of course there's a the spiritual aspect of it, which, you know, can look like helping people again, make sense of maybe their situation if they are spiritual or if they're not, we can help kind of, you know, help them to understand better what they might think happens. I mean, no one really knows. Right. Um, and then, of course, you know, at at the point where we're vigiling and we're bedside towards a near end of life, we can create a sacred space, help with some of the rituals, which, again, in terms of grief, have been really proven to to be really helpful. Um, you know, as a society, we've so we sort of we've like taken a step back from taking care of our own, really taking care of our own, you know, right, right. Our, our own loved ones. Mm -hmm. And we put it in the care of hospitals or funeral directors. But 
you know, doulas can assist in bringing that process back to the families and allowing for people to really experience, you know, the grief and experience um, one's end of life so that it, it makes it a little bit gentler of a process. Mm-hmm. Um, I had thought, like initially going into this, my brain hadn't, I had just been thinking individuals. So are you usually like, does a family reach out to you for help more or is it an individual that is going through the dying process that reaches yeah. out more often? Or- That's a great question. Um, in every case in my situation, I can only speak for myself. It's always been a loved one of someone who's dying. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, whether it's, you know, the, 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 you know, someone who's looking after a parent or even a friend, I've had, um, people reach out to me to say, you know, my, 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 my friend's husband has just received a terminal diagnosis. I feel really helpless. Mm -hmm. I'd like to be able to offer this service to them. And so it's a way for friends, loved ones, family to be able to give in some way. Cause I know a lot of people feel helpless. And so, um, yeah, so it really, in my experience, it's always been somebody who is looking after someone else who's dying. It's never been the dying person themselves. Although I imagine that that happens all the time. It just, it just hasn't happened for me yet. What, um, how did you, how did you get into this very interesting line of work, I think is a good question as well. Yeah. Um, well, that's a funny one because, you know, I think a lot of people have experience working in um, end of life care, a lot of palliative care nursing, um, mm-hmm. you know, in a background, but mine, my background had nothing to do with it. Um, previously, I worked in fashion and more recently, um, sourcing merchandise for global events. Okay. So I've never done anything in death and dying or in that field. But um, when I turned 40, I wanted to, I really started to think about how I could give back my time to causes that were important to me. And I've always really felt comfortable in the space, in the hospice care space. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up, I always volunteered at hospitals. I think I there was always, there's also a part of me that always wanted to be a nurse and I never did it. Um, so when a friend of mine who was a birth doula told me about end of life doulas, I was like, okay, this makes sense. This is, this is what I was looking for. Um, and I, you know, I researched it and I quickly learned where I could train and, um, and it's just, it's been so rewarding in so many ways. I mean, I'm really just starting out on this journey. I'm fairly new. Mm -hmm. I've been doing it about a year. And of course, during a pandemic, which has had its limitations, sure, sure. but, um, but it just has felt like a calling. It sounds so cheesy, but for lack of a better word, it was yeah. something that once I knew about it, it was something I had to pursue and, and it just feels so, it feels so right. It definitely feels like I'm in the right flow of where I need to be. Is it just that I'm new to this general world that it, or, you know, is it like, it seems like from my vantage point, it's like one of those things that like probably we did culturally 200 years ago and now we're kind of renaming it and coming back into it more. Is that the case or has it kind of been around this whole time? And I'm just been, you know, so you're exactly right. I mean, so it is a relatively new concept in terms of, you know, I guess a vocation and the title death doula, but 
you know, as long as people have been dying, there have been other people looking after them. (laughs) You know, it's been community-based work as long as, you know, millennia. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's only been recently, and and I would say you're exactly right, you know, in the last one to 200 years, like when things started to shift and as medical advances came into play, we started to turn over, turn our attention to prolonging life because how wonderful, you know, that, that Mm -hmm. medicine has allowed us to live longer and, and that's wonderful. Um, But in this effort to, in this effort to prolong life, we find ourselves, you know, reaching a natural end to our life cycle, but yet there's this grasping and this clinging onto life that in many ways, you know, can be detrimental to someone's quality of life. Right. And so a doula can be really beneficial in helping talk families through what does that look like for them? You know, what, what does it mean to refuse care? What does it mean to have life-sustaining treatment? All these are really important conversations. So, um, yeah, it's just, I think it's a natural shift right now. Doula is coming in to be able to bring that art back home Mm -hmm. and allow us to look after our own. Um, and I just think people want to do that now because, you know, there's, we're having, we're having new perspectives on death and dying these days and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, as we should. Any idea why that is? Why you think it's kind of finding its way back into culture again? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it just feels like a natural shift. And I think, I think people are starting to realize, and maybe there's just more and more stories of people having, you know, this term, a good death or Mm. not a good death. Um, and I guess people are just starting to want to change the narrative. I guess like, like you're saying, you know, with the focus being on hanging on for so long or, you know, more recently, I mean, you go back before that, we didn't have any choice, you know, it was always too soon, you know, that's you know, it. something sudden, something yeah. you know, doctors had no way to do, but now that we've got control over it, yeah, that's interesting. We've got a lot. I mean, whether you're looking at vaccines, which have helped, you know, gosh, what, you know, for so many, especially children allowing, mm-hmm. you know, these diseases to keep at bay. That was one. And then of course there's, there's, you know, modern medicine, there's antibiotics, there's so many things that have increased our lifespan. Um, But yeah, there's a fine balance between, you know, at what point, you know, at what point is it that someone's quality of life is suffering just because they're able to live longer? Right. How would you, my mom always says, um, as we've like, you know, had grandparents, you know, I've had grandparents go and friends and relatives that we've like kind of all got older. She'll, I've, I've heard her say, you know, plenty of times that, um, how does she usually say it? You either go, she, she says, you either go loud or you go quiet is mm-hmm. what she says. Anyway, you know, either you're going to kind of fade out or you're going to be kicking and screaming the whole way. Is that, you know, I'm just curious to hear your take on that, that mm-hmm. phrasing. Is that kind of how you th- how do you see people like what are the ways people go, I guess, in your near? Interesting. 
Yeah, I, I, I've never heard that before, but it's true. And I think it probably comes down to a level of acceptance, maybe, um, you know, those who are clinging and fighting and, and all that perhaps maybe haven't had a chance to ponder their mortality and mm. think about it. Um, and maybe a little bit of fear might be mixed in if, uh, if they're still, you know, um, if they're not going peacefully, I suppose. But yeah, perhaps, perhaps the difference between those two things are acceptance and, and fear. Mm -hmm. Um, what do you encounter more? You know, if you're being asked in by a family, how does, how do the people dying respond to Mm. your presence generally? Do you get some, do you get some kickback? Do you get, you know, or are they like glad to see you kind of a thing? (laughs) <laughs> Glad to see you. Um, well, again, you know, I am still very new in this journey, so my experiences are limited. Mm-hmm. But I would say that um, that it's mostly people who embrace the idea of doulas are probably a little bit further along in that acceptance journey sure. than than the average person. Um, and it's you know everyone's experience, everyone's everyone's journey is so unique and so individual to them. It's so hard to say, mm-hmm. but, uh, but no, I think those who are, who are opening their homes up to a death doula have probably already made it away. Yeah. What's gonna happen. <laughs> I mean, have, have you ever had somebody try and get your services and then actually turns out the person doesn't want them ultimately? Has um, that happened? Has that happened? Well, not necessarily, although I will say this happens more often than not, which is um, a family member will contact me about, not even a family member, it's been, anyway, a loved one mm-hmm. will have contacted me um, to say, I'd love for you to come in and support my so-and-so. However, she doesn't or he doesn't know that you're a death doula. And so I've absolutely been in situations where I've come in as just like caregiving support, which is fine. I don't, there doesn't need to be a title to what we do, right? right? What I don't want to do is deceive anyone. Mm -hmm. Um, At some point, I'd like to have an open conversation about who I am and what I can do. But I think, I think the softly, softly, slowly, slowly approach sometimes with this subject matter is right. is really important. You're kind of around doing something else and then oh what do you know we're talking about yeah. this or that. Yeah, well, and you can gently open up conversations, right? Mm. So um if you're, you know, if I'm working with somebody it's in those quiet moments. It's like if you can come in earlier enough in the journey and um companion and just spend time with with somebody when they're healthy and well mm-hmm. and whether that's, you know, we're cooking a meal together, but it's it's how do you, there's a gentle art and how you open up a conversation about perhaps sharing um, what those person's wishes might be at end of life, you know, in a really safe and supportive way. Um, I think there's, you know, there's a really, there's probably a, an art to it. I sure. don't know how, but yeah, it's just a, it's just a really, I guess, just opening it up in a really safe and supportive way. What's the training like to become a doula or an end of life doula? Yeah. Um, well, I think there are a lot of training programs out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and before I trained, I looked into a few of them and I would recommend anyone who is looking to do this work to do the same. Um, it's wonderful that these days 
you know, you have access to many virtual training programs um, across the world, really. Um, but the one that I did was, um, it was face-to-face. -face. This was, I did it in 2019 into, into 2020 when the world was still. Right, right um, at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, open. And uh, we did some immersive training where we were together about one week a month. Um, and then we did some individual self-study um, and worked on portfolios. Many trainings, organizations um, request that you have hospice um, experience. Mm -hmm. So they want you to volunteer in tandem. Um, but yeah, it's pretty, I mean, that one is pr pretty thorough. I think you can get shorter training programs and do it in a weekend. I might caution that. Sure. I think there, this is a deep, <laughs> you know, yeah. like subject material. I think you could probably certainly get the basics, but, um, you know, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's deep and vast and right. wide. Yeah. You don't want to mess it up. Knowledge. You, you, don't, <laughs> you don't want to mess it up. Do you know what you say that honestly will you don't want to mess it up yeah. you really only have one chance to get this right right and you want to be able to be you know do the, the approach it in the best way possible so yeah that's exactly right another thing i've that is just from my instagram experience is it feels like it's a very and this again could just be my perception it feels like it's a very female dominated industry does it that seem to be the case for you for in, in the real world? Not, not just on my Instagram yes. feed. It is. It is a it is a female dominated industry. And I wish it wasn't. Yeah. I really do. I know there are men, there, you know, there are men out there doing this work. Um and I don't know why that is. I mean, I guess there's the old, you know, women are nurturers, caregivers by nature, you know. But uh yeah, I'd like to see it. In general, it feels like grief in general is kind of a, again, I, again, you know, this is my Instagram mm -hmm. um, view, but uh, it's, it, you know, not a lot of men are making like accounts about losing their mother, right. you know, or their, you know, or their father or a sibling. It tends to be women making, you know, accounts and sharing posts and talking about it. Yeah. Um, is that now you're in you're in England, right? I am. I was I was born in Canada, grew up in the States, okay. but I've been here 13 years this okay. summer. Gotcha. Yeah. Where in Canada? Did you grow up in where in the United States did you live? Just out of curiosity. I was born in Toronto. Um, my mom's family is is in Montreal. Okay. I've got some family in Ottawa as well. And then in the States, I grew up in Atlanta, but my mom now lives in in Florida. And I've got, I've got friends all over. How has, um, how has, how has the, are there any cultural differences with death between those three places from your life experience? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'd say between those three places, less so than what we might call like the East versus mm -hmm. the West. Sure. Um, I think in the West, we sort of bury our head in the sand about things and don't really want to talk about it. Um, it's probably part of the reason why we don't have the tools or know what to do when mm -hmm. someone is dying or how to support um, and why, you know, why this work is so important. In the East, I'd say in other countries where, so my father was Indian um, and he was Sikh. And I think, you know, you look at Eastern religions, Buddhism, 
um, et cetera. And they, they just embrace death as a part of life. It's very different. Um, so, you know, and I think in many ways we can learn a lot from them. Sikhs are, and I don't know if I'm, is it Sikhism? Do I say that? Sikh, Sikhism? Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. one of those religions that I probably know almost nothing about. But whenever mm -hmm. I do hear something about it, I'm like, oh, that's cool. Um, what are, what are the, what are their practices as far as, as far as death goes? How do they, you know, what is, what does end of life look like? What is a, what does a funeral look like yeah, um, in that culture? Yeah, question. Um, so, well, again, you know, it's an amazing religion. I think overall their tenant is just, you know, to work hard, you know, be a good human being mm -hmm. and. And, you know, like other religions, you can, you know, there's that common denominator, but um, in terms of death, they have the practice of cremation. Okay. And um, typically the tradition is that, you know, when the, when the person is being cremated, it's usually like the eldest male will, whatever, start the fire or in modern terms now they sort of turn on gotcha. the, you know, cremation machine. Mm -hmm. So these, these old rituals are still trying to find their way in, um, you know, in modern times and I'm no expert, but, you know, they do, they do honor the dead. They, they also, you know, have a period of mourning. And then a year later, they will, they will also, again, um, on this, on the anniversary, they'll have another ritual where, they honor that person. So it's, you know, it's not something that's like, okay, they've, you know, they're gone now. We don't, we no longer think mm -hmm. about them. It's very much in their culture to, um, yeah, to revisit to come that, back on it. I like that. And yeah. To, yeah. Continue to, is it just, just more. the next year? Generally? Um, I mean, obviously you're going to remember people, but speaking, specifically. I, yeah, I'd need to know, I need to, yeah. to brush up on my, my skills to know but that in my family that's what we do anyway. gotcha. i like the idea of you know you don't want to do it every year you know like 20 years yeah. from now we're still celebrating grandpa but um hitting a good one like the next year i think is that makes sense you know yeah well i don't know eat to each zone right I mean, right sure sure, sure. yeah and death ritual is is really important in terms of grief so um honoring the honoring the body having time to sit with with the dying and the and the body once mm -hmm. they've passed, um, we found that that's extremely healing to people. Having time um, previously, you know, at least in the West, they'll let's say someone does die, um, you know, it's swiftly, quickly the funeral director comes in and takes the body away. Well, you know, there's an argument to say, you know, having days while they're resting. Um, at home or wherever mm -hmm. you choose is really healing and having that time um, to be able to, you know, just share space with that person that you loved and having the time for people to come visit and say goodbye. These things I think used to happen and, um, and they just don't anymore. And so mm -hmm. we're trying to, to illustrate that there's some benefit in that. Yeah, they used to, I, I was looking at something not too long ago and like in the Victorian area, they just, you know, they just set up and take a photo, you know, here's the family yeah. and then you'd have the propped up over there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, we but they've done it a lot. We're like, it's so morbid, but, yeah. but it's not, it's giving people time 
to process mm-hmm. the death of their loved one, which we just don't do anymore. Right. How how culturally, how do you think we could, or what, are there any specific things that you think we could do better? I mean, obviously you must, but, you know, are there any specific yeah. things that culturally we, yes. we could improve on in the West? To Yeah. You know, whenever I think about who, like, in the West is doing death well, I think about I- the Irish. Okay. Because, you know, they've got sort of some of the things I've touched on, which is, you know, the whole, firstly, the community gets on board once, you know, they know that someone in their community is dying. It's like, they're all hands on deck. They're bringing food. They're sharing space. They're, you know, sharing memories. They're really um, making the most of that person's life while they're here. And then of course there's the, the wake. So that's where I described, you know, they have sort of the body available and children are involved Mm -hmm. and people are having discussions about it. And then um, you know, and everyone mourns and cries and wails and all of it and sings, and then they all have a huge party. <laughs> <laughs> so there is the celebration and the celebration of life, mm-hmm. but not before they make, you know, they've had their time right. to mourn right. and to grieve and to get the feelings out. The only way through is no, the only way over it is through, right? They mm-hmm. say, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, is there anything in England that they do differently that I don't know about? Or is that pretty similar? No, culturally? the Victorians came in and they're the ones that changed the whole <laughs> the whole thing from dying at home to moving it over to oh, the, okay. the funeral home. So um, I think, yeah, look, but the doula movement, um, the hospice organizations here are wonderful and are offering a new way and a new perspective to look at all of it and to approach death. It's changing. And so, so with COVID, you've probably done a lot of, a lot of zoom work, you know, or virtual Mm -hmm. doula work. What's, how does that go? How does that, how has that been for you? Yeah, that's all I've done really. Mm. Um, I mean, I've, I am now as, as life starts to open up, um, seeing a client regularly. Um, but generally speaking, it's all been zoom. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I have to say, surprisingly, that I've been I've been pleasant, pleasantly surprised that you can support people at end of life virtually. Mm-hmm. Um, my role, I think, as a doula is to help empower people to do this work on their own. So someone who might need our services would ring me and be like, "Okay, X, Y, and Z is happening," you know, and then it's just you're there to help guide them, give them support, give them advice have you thought about this, that, and the other, and, and really just give them sort of the confidence to kind of go off and say, okay, yeah, now I know how to handle this with my family or, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'll speak to my loved one about such and such. And so it's mostly just that virtual support is possible, but I do look forward to the day that we can be in, in, you know, the physical space of one another because you just can't replace that yeah. I mean, we're humans and social creatures and touch is important as in um hugs and all those things you know so i hope it comes soon what's your covid situation like over there right now how are you guys you guys getting close we are we're on this path to get out of lockdown um we're at a point now where we can see friends and groups outside. Um, 
but I think in May, middle of May, we'll be able to gather inside again. Gotcha. Um, and that's when it will it will change. So you guys like restaurants and all that jazz is so close over there. Restaurants are open, but only outdoor seating. Oh, okay. And in May, I believe we'll be able to dine inside okay. probably again at limited capacity okay we're still mostly pretending it's not real so apparently <laughs> over here so we'll maybe add it a little longer um what um yeah it seems like that's been one of the hardest things i had um somebody uh i talked to um, a friend a couple episodes ago had a grandma who passed away during covid and uh they were jewish and so setting shiva was was mm-hmm. not able and there was like one of those you know things where the grandma was she'd been you know had mentally was pretty gone for a while but so like this yeah. but this huge family then couldn't get together and tell stories about their crazy grandma and that was pretty heartbreaking um have you i mean how has that has covid i mean it must have especially i mean this is a great time for for that i wonder almost wonder if that's part of it you know, yeah. the need for doulas popping up because people can't be around even if you want them to be right now. So, yeah, it's been a tough year. I yeah. mean, there's no two ways around that. Like people being separated from families, limited, you know, numbers at funerals. I mean, I who knows what the what the fallout of that is going to be. I mean, I think there will be some complicated grief that comes mm-hmm. out of this. It's been tough. Um Personally, I can speak to my experience as well. My dad died last summer. He um, he had a stroke and was taken to hospital um, back in March of last year. And, you know, COVID limited our ability to, to yeah. sit, to be with him. Mm-hmm. And so he was in a rehab facility. They had stopped all visitation. And I just think, you know, look, I've thought I've had a year to think about all this. I'm sure that is the way it was meant to be for him, his life, but it was awful. And that, you know, towards his, we didn't even know it was going to be the end. We thought he was going to kind of pull through, Mm -hmm. but I think his deteriorating state really was because we weren't there to cheer him on. Sure. You know, it's a lot of time to be alone. And thankfully, he was a little bit out of it enough to like not really know how much time was going by. Gotcha. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that was probably a godsend in this case. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like he he would ask all the time. He's like, when are you come to visit, <laughs> you know, and it was heartbreaking because yeah. we wanted to be there and couldn't. So this is happening to families all over. America all over the world yeah all over the world mm-hmm. and it's been tough um do you we you know the theme of this is is we lost a good one and we dive into into somebody yeah. a little bit do you want to dive into could be your dad or yeah. anybody else a little bit yeah he was great he was great I mean oh what a character he was like like I said he was from India um he moved to America in the 60s um, and met my mom, mom living in Montreal and they had a family, like me and my sister were born there, but he was just one of life's greatest, like, he's just a great character, super funny. He would have loved this podcast knowing that like, you're looking at this, you know, um, topic with the lens of, of lightness and, and, you know, humor. Cause he would have, he just, 
he could totally, you know, he, he was really entertaining and everyone just adored him. Mm-hmm. He was a really great guy. What's a mem- what's like either a memory that really sums him up or the first memory that comes to mind when you think of him? Oh gosh, so many memories. I, it's hard to say like one that would sum someone up or, um, and I mean, God, there's a lifetime of memories to choose from, but I think one of the things in general that he, I like think of when I think of my dad is his positivity. And um, it was like, it was really infectious. I mean, if you ever asked him how he was doing, his his one word answer was like, I'm wonderful. And he was, he just exuded <laughs> that like energy. Um, and I think it's what carried him on in life because he had, he had a number of like, he had like multiple brain surgeries over the years, many strokes. He was like, we, he had like an artificial valve in his heart. I mean, there were so wow. many times where I thought, oh God, this surely this is it. Uh-huh. And then, you know, it was like his mental fortitude and his positive attitude that got him through everything. He just nothing phased him. And he was like, I'm going to be fine. You know, we're like, okay, great. <laughs> and it's what pulled him through. Um, we called him like bionic, really. Sometimes we were just like, I can't believe he's still here. So all that being said, when he, when he finally did die <laughs> that last summer, you know, it's in a sort of circle of life sort of way. I was like, okay, you know, I had prepared to say goodbye to him like two years earlier when he had a massive, you know, brain hemorrhage and stroke sure. and he pulled through that time. So I was like, all right, it's time. You kind of you dipped know, your toes he, in a little bit. You were ready yeah, to go. Yeah. Yeah. We always said he'd like, I'll, uh, you know, I don't know. He'd like, he, he always, he was like, I don't know how to describe it, but lived long, bef- long after i his expiration date sure. basically <laughs> if that makes sense what um that kind of goes back to a question i was going to ask too what role do you see you know levity and humor playing in the in the death process oh, it's so important it's so important it's what gets you through i mean humor is such an amazing healer in so many ways and it can be a dark and sad time. Mm-hmm. So I do encourage people to find the light in it. And, um, you know, the other women that I trained with, they, there was four others or five of us in total. And I mean, if anybody ever pressed record in one of the, <laughs> you know, <laughs> meetings we were in, or, you know, over, like we've all had long nights with glasses of wine in front of us and just the, the, it's like the dark humor that comes out. It's so necessary. And it's just, we have to laugh because, you know, and of course we're respectful, you know, yeah. everything we're saying and mm-hmm. doing is, you know, just with the, it, it, but we have, you have to laugh. It's, it's a tough subject matter and it's really dark. Mm-hmm. And if you can't find the light in it, you know. Yeah. It's going to be harder. It feels like. Yeah, it yeah. is. What are, what's the the Sikh take on on the afterlife? That's something I don't know that I know. Mm. Oh my god, I'm really being quizzed on the Sikh. Sorry, um, it really piqued my interest. No, 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 it's fine. <laughs> um, they, I believe, I believe they they believe in. It's not reincarnation necessarily. I mean, it is. I mean, I think if you asked a Sikh, there's an argument to say we do or we don't believe in reincarnation, but mm. they certainly believe in 
energies and and moving on if that makes sense Mm -hmm. um so there's no heaven or hell per se it's just you know your your energy your um spirit is moving on gotcha still out there some yeah it's all a part of the soup so indeed yeah yeah and yeah and for lack of a better term reincarnated gotcha okay Mm-hmm. that's interesting sorry yeah sorry like i said it really is one of those religions where i don't know anything but then every time i hear something I'm like, oh. yeah why no, don't, where, where are we all seeks that sounds great <laughs> they're great they're great they're always <laughs> doing great things in the community and yeah you know, like yeah. helping people that's like one of their main they things are. right and i feel like Absolutely. other other religions have that but then like they're also doing like a bunch of other stuff that's getting in the way of that <laughs> So it's nice oh, to hear no, about a religion that's doing that on their out its face, you know. They really are, and they're they're they are they're good humans through and through. Really, I believe it. How did your parents meet? They met at work. Okay. Um, yeah, they met at work through friends. That way, I think my mom. There's a story about my mom being on a date, and my dad ran into her while she was on a date, and they were like, "My mother was." shoe shopping they were in a shoe store or something and she was trying on shoes and then my dad was like those are terrible don't get those <laughs> and um and sh- and then I don't know what happened to the shoes but I know that they went on a date in the end and um and then from what I understand they never really spent another day apart it was just sort of like that for 52 years wow. where did they work what was the my dad worked work? at a company called um northern telecom or oh. Be- it was bell canada at the time then it was bought out by northern telecom or nortel i think is where okay. they ended up. he was a, of that generation that worked at one place for 30 years right <laughs> so. and then so where where was he born i missed that say it again he was born in amritsar in india okay so he's born in india how does how does he get to to canada he um went to university there had an engineering degree and then um, just immigrated to Canada in, to Canada in the 60s. One of his uncles gave him some, like, $500, you know, that old, I came here with $500 right. in my pocket. <laughs> and then, yeah, he made his way, and he met my mom, who is Lithuanian, which oh, okay. is kind of weird, mm-hmm. that mix. Um, and, yeah, and I think both families were like, uh, what? You know, especially my dad's side. I mean, I think his mother had already lined up a suitable girl for him. <laughs> back in India and then my dad had to call her and be like no I've actually Oops. met somebody else and she's white um and that didn't go down that didn't no. go down very well. no <laughs> but they had they had my sister they eloped and had my sister and um I think eventually everybody came came on side and it it all turned out all right in the end, but it was a rough couple of years I think in the beginning did work bring them from Canada to Atlanta too yeah okay. yeah my both my parents were like screw this it's very cold here we're gonna move <laughs> to the war <laughs> so they moved south interesting um and then how has like how do how do you think your background and like did, did they play any part in your ending up in this line of work as well that's a good question i mean when i look at when I look at this journey and I think to myself, like, how did I get here? I do look back on points in my life and I'm like, okay, I see how that has all played a part in my journey. Um, 
one of them is they had a boy, a stillborn baby between my sister and I. And, you know, I remember when my mom and I talked about it. Well, I guess I always knew that that was the case. But I remember once when we were, I was trying on a dress, like I was graduating from high school, I think. And I was trying on a dress or my mom was going to make me a dress, I think, because I couldn't find anything I really wanted. And, um, and she was like, she had her old measurements from, I guess, around that time. So, and she was like, gosh, or maybe it wasn't even that. I think she let me try on one of her old dresses and it fit like a glove mm-hmm. that she had had made for herself. That was it. And, um, and she was like, you know, I'm doing okay for having three kids. And I was like, wait, what, you know, like, <laughs> where's that brother or sister I don't know about, like, but it was in her mind, she had had three, well, she has had sure. three children. Mm-hmm. One died at birth. Yeah. And so we talked about that kind of stuff as a family. Um, so death and dying wasn't really taboo. And of course, as they got older, they, you know, we, I would go home at Christmas or Thanksgiving and my dad would always be like, whenever I die, the papers are all right here. And I'd be like, (laughs) oh, go, you know, don't start with that. Like, but that's the point is that we, you know, it was not something we didn't talk about. And, um, and so I think that has helped me at least mm-hmm. have, you know, the ability to hold conversations and yeah, has just shaped, I guess, my relationship with death and why I feel maybe comfortable in this space. What advice do you have, or could you do if, if you have any to impart on someone who's dying and what advice do you have for someone who's supporting somebody who mm. is dying is there any like you know little nuggets yeah you can pass off oh i have so much advice <laughs> um okay so for both really reflect on you know planning is really important so try to capture someone's end of life wishes while they're healthy and well mm. and they can still communicate there will come a time where they can't And then people around them will be forced to make decisions on their behalf. So the more that we can understand in terms of what somebody's wishes and desires are, the more we know that we're honoring that person. Um, But from sort of a, and that's like the practical view of things, but from just a, I guess, a more emotional or mindful viewpoint, it's about presence, I think. And really enjoying the moment and trying to stay present with the person who's dying. And then also for the person to stay as present as possible, you can, you know, you can go down a route of thinking about the future and worrying and all that, but it's like, time is so precious. If I could give time, more time to everybody I work with, Mm -hmm. that would be my greatest gift. So with whatever limited time you have, try to be as in the moment as possible. That's wonderful. Um, what? So the way we usually kind of wrap it up, I don't, I don't want to keep it too much longer. Um, is reflecting back on the person and trying to like, is there like a life lesson or a moral 
or something we can take away from either their mm-hmm. life or their death, one or the other, or both. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that we can take away from your father's life slash death? Yeah. Yeah. And I from? think it's that thread again of positivity. So he taught me when I was really young that happiness was a choice and we have the ability to react, like how we react to things really changes our, um, our, our reality really, Mm -hmm. you know, you can make a choice to react to anything in, in a certain way. And he was always like, choose your attitude, choose happiness. And I think there's something that rubbed off on me with that. And I feel like, especially in terms of this work, I feel my purpose is to help people at end of life find the meaning and the light at this really delicate time, Mm -hmm. Um, enabling families to sort through those feelings and try to draw out sort of whatever I'm not, I'm not into toxic positivity, right? I, there is a time and place for every emotion. Absolutely. But, you know, if you know, David Kessler, his work, Mm -mm. I, I love it. I mean, he's always talking about how do you find meaning in the moments in the grief and the darkest places, where do you find the meaning and how can you find the light? And I, that is what I seek. And, and I help my clients, or I hope I can help my clients do the same. And I am absolutely sure that that was what my father was able to instill in me. That's great. Yeah. You're doing his work. Um, well, you know, uh, we talked about lots of other stuff, but it sounds like we lost a good one. Um, <laughs> we did. and, uh, yeah, I like that. I like that your dad, um, yeah, I'm taking all that in. Um, is there anything else you want to add or anything else? Anything else we that I, you know what? I'm going to tell you on? one more story. Yeah. Okay. So my dad's name was Yoda. Okay. <laughs> it's a good name. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think what, when did, when did, was it return of the Jedi? No. Empire strikes back. That's when Yoda showed up in the series. I'm one of those weird people. I've only, I think I've, I've, I've only seen one of them. I'm not even sure which yeah. one it is. <laughs> don't worry. I don't even think I've seen them all either. So it's fine. But anyway, so he had a big year in like 1981. Right. When <laughs> yeah. That was like, you he know, was the man for a second. Yeah. Indeed. Um, but yeah. So when I was, and he was always, he was really relaxed as a human being, like he worried about nothing. I mean, also part of his like mental fortitude, he was just like, it'll be fine. Um, and so I, so it was last summer I was walking I was on a walk with my boyfriend and my dad was still alive. He had tested positive for COVID in a rehab facility, right? That was happening. Mm-hmm. Remember, do you remember that? Well, I mean, I might still be happening, but right. back then it was like, you would get these, you would hear these stories about like COVID just ripping through. Right. Like, yeah. Home. We had like a whole um, like nunnery got taken out in Michigan here. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. It was awful. Yeah. So anyway, so he tests positive for COVID. Another reason why I'm like, this man has been through everything. Sure. So he's recovering from a stroke. He gets COVID and he beats it. He beats it. I'm like, I, he's literally on his deathbed and he still manages right. to kick it. I'm like, <laughs> this, is, this is why he's like, has more than nine lives. Anyway, so I'm, but I am, I'm full of worry. I'm far away. I, you know, I'm not with him 
I'm not with my family. I'm in England. My family's in the States. I was walking with my boyfriend. I was really just full of worry and anxiety. And we walk past this man and he's got this t-shirt on and it said, it's got this huge picture of Yoda on the front and it just says, Yoda says, relax. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I am so certain that's, that my dad has just sent me that sign. Right. There's no doubt that's about perfect. it. It's too synchronous right. for it not to be the truth. So um, yeah, I took that as a sign. I was like, okay, he's going to be good. He did beat COVID. That was what happened. And uh, yeah, and he died shortly after. But honestly, honestly, he lived such a full life. I'm so grateful for all the time that I had with him, you know, in the, in the last few years, mm. we were always, he, you know, he wasn't the healthiest men on the planet. So we were all just grateful for the time that we had. And um, yeah, we did lose a good one. That's great. Well, thanks for, thanks for chatting with me. You were the first person who I don't know, who I didn't know at all. It's been, you oh. know, kind of some comedian friends and a couple yeah. people I worked with. There. So you're, you're the first person. I've well, met in this it. in this sitting. Well, I yeah, yeah, keep doing it. It's important to have these conversations. And you know what I've learned also um, is that people want to share. People want to talk about it. You know, like this death and dying is a taboo subject. But as soon as you're as soon as you're opening up the dialogue, people don't. It's yeah, just like floodgates just, are right. Open. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm finding. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, that's the other beautiful thing. So keep doing it. We'll do. Well, thank you so much, Sabrina. It's been it's been thanks, an absolute Will. pleasure. Yeah, it was really great. I appreciate your time and thanks for thinking of me. Yep. See ya. Okay. Bye. Bye. Well, that was an absolute pleasure. I want to thank Sabrina, one more time. If you want to um, reach out to her, I mean, you could, for your own, I don't know, um, services or services for someone else, you can find her uh, Facebook. She's at End of Life. Sorry, Sabrina End of Life Doula is her name on Facebook. She is also on Instagram at End of Life Doula Sabrina. There is a period in between each of those words, but. Yeah, that was great. I learned a lot and it is interesting. And I, I love I love hearing all the different ways that different cultures handle death and all the different traditions and some are better than others. I mean, I, you know, I don't want to begrudge anybody, but some are definitely, um, I think, a little more effective than others. And I guess more importantly than anything, it's just, you know, have something. You know, you got to have something that you do. If you don't do anything, that's probably bad. But if you do something, it's probably going to be okay. That's my big takeaway. Um, I also like the idea of, I don't know if I, if, it's interesting if I could be, not, it seemed like there's not a lot of dudes being end of life doulas, but is there a need for that? I don't know. I feel like I might appreciate it if someone was just like, hey, Ooh, dying, huh? That sucks. What do you want to do about it? Um, so yeah, Will, end of life doula, you can look me up to. I will, I will commiserate as you pass away. Uh, um, that is it. 
I hope you've enjoyed this. Um, next up, I've got a uh, pretty philosophical interview that I did with my friend Amy. So that'll be coming up next. In the meantime, thank you so much for checking this out. Be good. Dig a little deeper in the well, boys. Dig a little deeper in the well. If you want to get cool in the water, you got to dig a little deeper in the well.